Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. So two stories, the rising anti-Semitism as a result of the recent flare-up of violence in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and a perfect microcosm of today's Republican Party, the vote to advance the actual vote to create a bipartisan commission to investigate the insurrection failed in the Senate. There have been high-profile incidents of anti-Semitism that has been picked up by the media, including several people storming to a restaurant, I believe LA, asking who's Jewish. And um, in New York City, there was a, I believe a firecracker or something thrown to a, a more pro-Israel crowd. And one of the major concerns now is that we're becoming Western Europe. New York or LA is going to become London or Paris in terms of the rampant anti-Semitism that has plagued Western Europe for years now. We know a lot of these statistics because of the ADL. While the ADL has its problems, they are still one of the most reliable sources for tracking anti-Semitism in the country. And yes, anti-Semitism has been up for years now, but it's important to know that this is a time to really address it and how it comes out not only in extreme right-wing circles such as Charlottesville, but also for on the extreme left in regards to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Before I go into a rant, Joshua, do you want to give your quick thoughts? I mean, anti-Semitism is one of the oldest forms of hatred. It never dies down anywhere in the world. Essentially, as long as Jewish people have existed, as long as the diaspora, and of course, naturally, the rise of anti-Semitism is always a terrible thing for Jews worldwide. The major reason behind the rise of anti-Semitism as of late is the violent development in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And the truth is that Israel, which is the world's only Jewish state, it receives a lot of vehement criticism and also a lot of pure hate. And Jews worldwide are always impacted by the world's perception on Israel. Let me just say this, that uh, the current prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, I personally don't like him. Um, You know, he's been in power for way too long. And frankly, there's a lot of corruption in his administration. And it's time for Israel to simply move on from him, which is difficult to do considering their weird pattern of elections as of late. But the truth is that Netanyahu's actions somehow directly impact anti-Semitism in the world just because Israel is a Jewish state. And there's kind of a standard applied. So it's absolutely terrible. And frankly, the politics of Israel should not be applied to Jews worldwide. This is we abhor violence to Asian Americans just because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Why do we tie Israel to Jews worldwide? Jews in Europe, Jews in America, Jews in South America. And I agree. I, I hate Bibi. He is the epitome of political obstructionism, obstructionism of Israel democracy, of American Jews' connection to Israel, and of course, the peace process. Let me make this clear. Right-wing anti-Semitism and left-wing anti-Semitism are both bad, and we can disagree on what should be done with the conflict. We can disagree on who has more responsibility to fix it. We can disagree on what's moral and ethical, and that's fine. This is America. This is democracy. We can debate, and this is a problem that America has a vested interest in. But what we can't do is act like one side is completely responsible, ignore crucial parts of the history or the Israeli or Palestinian narrative, their own narratives, or pretty much just reduce everything to a hashtag or a Canva post. Because when I keep seeing hashtag free Palestine, when I keep seeing anti-Zionism isn't anti-Semitism, 
I know that 99% of the time, most of those people are not anti-Semitic. But here's the problem. A lot of what they're saying contributes to the anti-Semitism that's cropping up right now. Anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, okay? Zionism, what it is, the definition, is that Jews have the right to self-determine in their own homeland. It has nothing to do with the Palestinians, nothing to do with the conflict, nada. And so if you're anti-Zionist, you are saying that Israel does not have the right to exist. Jews do not have the right to self-determine in their own homeland. But if you said that Tibetans and Kurds do not have the right to self-determine in their own homeland, you're branded as racist. You're branded as anti-Kurd or anti-Tibetan. Why is the same not apply to the Jews? Exactly. That exact type of double standard is what makes a lot of it inherently anti-Semitic. Once again, like you said, we could disagree about policy, about what, you know, both groups are doing and about who's more responsible, of course, and we should be openly willing to debate about that. And listen, this is not to say that Palestinians do not have a right to a homeland either. They do. This is clear that that even though they only started calling themselves Palestinians in the 1960s, that's when the identity of Palestinian came to be, they do deserve a homeland because they, Arabs in the area have been abused by the British control by out surrounding Arab countries that have used them like pawns. And to some extent, the Israeli government that has had, um, let's just say, rocky relations. But let's be clear about this. Israel is not an apartheid state. Because of the inclusion of Israeli Arabs in the highest levels of society within 1948 borders, the fact that Israelis in general and Israeli Jews that come from Iraq and Yemen and Syria look just like the Palestinians, and the civil control of the majority of the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza under the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, respectively, that was agreed upon in the Oslo Accords. Also the fact that they haven't held elections there in over a decade. These are directly contradictory to that assessment of an apartheid state. It is not a colonial state because not all Israelis came from Europe. Many came from Iraq and Yemen and Jordan and would look just like the Palestinians. And calling Israel a white European colonial state is just an attempt to categorize all Jews as the other in this situation which is also kind of insulting given the history of European anti-Semitism and ostracization with the Black Death, the Inquisition, the pogroms, the Holocaust, and the anti-Israel protests that have morphed into anti-Semitism happening right now. And also, considering that you cannot colonize your own land, because we've had a civilization that was destroyed 2,000 years ago, we've always had some Jews that remained in the area, and we are genetically and or culturally connected to our past, and the fact that the West Bank and Gaza were won a defensive war and are in our Israeli land under national law. And also the fact that the Palestinian Authority and Hamas have at least civilian control of their populations. So no, it's not a colonial state. It's insulting to take it anyway as such because it's just factually not true. It rings about um, reminders of anti-Semitism and the, no, the shoe doesn't fit. But let me just say that, yes, the Palestinians are in, ter- are in terrible conditions. They are subject to Israeli security measures like the wall and the security bureaucracy, and many of the settlements are encroaching on Palestinian land. But a lot of that is due to the fact that the Palestinian leadership is wholly corrupt, puts civilians in direct line of fire, and don't care about actual governance. And the fact that Yasser Arafat and the Mahmoud Abbas have walked away from multiple post-Oslo Accords attempts by Israel and the United States to solve many of these issues. It's not one-sided affair any way you slice it. We cannot treat it as such and ignore the promise of the Oslo Accords and to the minds of the peace talks that, yes, also do have some blame on the far-right in Israel for abandoning it as of late, but also just the sheer power vacuum, the sheer vacuum of actual governance by the Palestinian leadership. So listen, 
If you're someone who is talking about Israeli apartheid or colonialism and call yourself anti or call yourself anti-Zionist, I do not think you are anti-Semitic. I do not think you're coming from a place of hate. I don't think that you hate me, a Zionist Jew. You clearly want to help the Palestinians, and that is admirable. All I'm saying is that take what I've said in the past few minutes and explore. Go look up Daniel Gordas's writings on these issues. Read the Times of Israel or Jerusalem Post. Go hear the other narratives here. But let's dispel with this debate of pro-Israel, pro-Palestinian labels. Either you are for a solution that acknowledges that another population will go away and will work with others in a coalition to stop anti-Semitism, to stop hatred of Palestinians, and actually find a solution to this conflict, or you cling along to old narratives of either all Palestinians are terrorists or Israelis are all colonizers, and keep to your silos and perpetuate this anti-Zionist, anti-Semitic idea and these Islamophobic ideas. Whether the Zionist Organization of America, or if not now, Bibi Netanyahu and Ohan Omar, or the Kahanists or BDS, let's actually come together about unity. We should be pro-unity and not pro-Israel, pro-Palestinian. Our second story is about how the vote to advance the actual vote on the bipartisan January 6th commission, it has failed to pass the supermajority, the 60 votes necessary to overcome a possible Republican filibuster. The vote was 54 to 35. Two Democratic senators were not present and six Republican senators joined in. Those are Cassidy of Louisiana, Susan Collins of Maine, Mitt Romney of Utah, Ben Sass of Nebraska, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and Rob Portman of Ohio. Like I said, they felt six votes short of the supermajority, which means that the bipartisan commission is essentially dead. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, a surprise for me was uh, that Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania didn't vote for it. I'm not sure uh, why he didn't vote for it, considering that he's retiring in 2022 anyway. Was he in the chamber? He didn't. I, I Actually, he didn't vote for it. I, excuse he me. Was, it's not that he, he was not present in the chamber at the time. Well, there, there's also the fact that um, that multiple Republican senators also weren't there to begin with because, you know, only a nine senators showed up. Well, that's still, true. But yeah. I, I still felt that Pat Toomey would at least show up and show support for it when everybody in the Senate knew that this was likely to fail. If you're a Republican and you want to support it, you should, because getting 10 Republican votes on it is extremely difficult. And as we've just seen, it didn't happen. We fell dramatically short. Even if all the Democratic senators were there, the vote would have been 56 to 35, still four votes short of of the 60 votes necessary anyway. I think I speak for both of us when we're extremely mad about this. I mean, are you serious? An attack on the seat of our government and those directly fronted by it, those who had to run for cover from the insurrectionists, many of them wouldn't even vote for a commission to investigate it. This goes to show the state of the GOP in the fact that they don't want accountability for this because everybody knows that ultimately Trump and his supporting media fitted the rhetoric and hatred that ultimately led to the boil over that led to people charging the Capitol building. Trump has become central to their ideology and central to their party, and they don't want to hold him accountable for it. So it's just absolutely disgraceful. And, you know, in the history textbooks of the future, our kids are going to be asking us, how is it that people directly threatened senators and made them run for cover and hide underground for hours? And yet when they came out, they wouldn't even vote for a bipartisan commission to even look at it. Donald Trump is the party, okay? There's no way in hell 10 Republicans were going to vote for this. There was no way in hell. And I don't know why I'm even sad right now. I'm not surprised. I'm just, that this is just sad. You said it all, Joshua. This is just 
it adds, adds to the fact that they say, oh, you know, we're going to talk about Biden's new budget inflating the deficit and bringing up just less than a trillion dollars in infrastructure, or we're going to think about doing a new contract with America, or we're going to keep doing voting restrictions because Mike Wendell said so. This is not a serious party. This is not a party that cares. This is not a party that tries. This is not, this is not a party that does anything but for its own political survival. I don't know why anyone would vote for anyone coming out of this party besides the six people in the Senate and, and like what, the 30 people voting in the, in the House voting for this commission. So Paul Ryan, you talk about how, oh, we need to, we need to think about populism. We need, we need to choose between you know, institutionalism or populism or whatever. Uh, there's, a, there's a war. No, there's no war. You lost. Actually, no, sorry. You didn't lose. You let it happen. That you were the bumbling tree, treasonous general that let your enemy win and take over. You let this happen on your watch as House Speaker, and now you're in the Fox board. And what are you doing? What are you doing to stop Tucker Carlson from promoting white replacement theory that leads to the insurrection, that leads to the big lie, that leads to the, to the fear of black and brown people voting in this country? Yeah, I agree. And ultimately, doing? many Republican establishment figures from the past have failed like like you said failed to stop it paul ryan as an example as house speaker he didn't do anything to stop it neither did john boehner who by the way is going on book tour right now talking about how crooked the republican party is right now and i just simply can't stand it right because he did absolutely nothing to stop it i haven't met him i don't know what he's thinking i don't know exactly what he did to possibly even try to stop it but from where it looks he wasn't able to stop the general direction that the party was heading in Right. This is why Liz Cheney gets no cookies because she was asked by Jonathan Swan. Given when you look back, the, you know, the voting restrictions being placed on you know secretaries of state in several battleground states, Republican state legislatures taking over the electoral process. Do you still support it? Do you still support it when it led to the big lie? And Liz Cheney said, "Oh, you know, I still think there's an argument there." What are you talking about? That you're part of the problem. You are. You're just like Paul Ryan. You let this happen. You let the, the Tea Party nonsense and you and Paul Ryan and John Boehner, as you said, Joshua, and everyone since it, at least Gingrich has let this happen. The ignoring of you know procedural norms, constitutional norms, ethics, disregard for um, of civility and for, for the rule of law and for an actual equality of opportunity, the actual constitution. And I can go on and you've heard me rant about this for months. I'm just sick of this. I, I don't want to be ranting about how the Republican Party is dying. I want to hear how it's going to be a, an opposition that I may not agree with a lot of policy-wise, but at least I know they're not going to, like you said, Joshua, vote against their own lives. And the fact that McConnell talks to some of these Republicans and says, there is a personal favor and vote against the commission. What do you say to that? There's nothing left to be said. Noel Morstein was right in 2012 when he wrote books about how McConnell is the worst Senate leader in history when they, when, and how the filibuster needs to be restored to its original purpose. How we would do elections elections in this country needs to be reworked, asymmetrical polarization. And again, I can go on, but I don't want to hear that, oh, there's school choice, there's rising crime rates. I don't want to hear that we have an less than $1 trillion infrastructure bill. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about these pitiful attempts to actually rank going policy when there is no respect for the rule of law, no respect for the Capitol Hill police officers, no respect for the Constitution, no respect for basic decency. No respect for anything. This is why they're in part nihilists. They're political nihilists because they really only care for the self-preservation and nothing else. Mm-hmm.
and that concludes this episode of Gen Zers Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zers Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zers Talk Poly with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us and we hope to see you next time.